this is just for the benefit of people listening because you know what happened you were there okay uh so yesterday we were watching uh the new french version of the three musketeers uh-huh. three musketeers d'artagnan full title uh-huh. amazing cast vicky creeps as the queen of france brilliant casting um so anyway as we're watching this film i start to realize that you don't know the plot of the three musketeers no i don't and I thought, okay, maybe just, you know, Elaine doesn't know the plot of Three Musketeers. But the real alarm bell was after we we didn't actually finish watching (laughs) it. Alarm bell? Yeah, the real alarm (laughs) bell, right, was after the film, uh, or like we decided to pause halfway through because it was getting late. We thought we'll finish it later. I was talking about the other Three Musketeers films, and not only had you not seen any of them, I've realized you have never, in your life, (laughs) have never heard... The soundtrack for the, I want to say, 92, 91 film. You're the expert. I don't know. You know, where you have Rod Stewart, Sting, and Brian Adams, right? Mm -hmm. So two Englishmen and one Commonwealth man. No. No? No. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Anyway, you've never heard that song, the All for One, All for Love song, right? All for one, it's all for love, that one. No, you heard it now, because I was like... I've heard it once, and it instantly stuck in my head. Oh, I said it's a banger, right? It is a banger. So my question is this, to the people listening, especially those who reside uh, in the United Kingdom... is Great Britain and Northern Ireland, yeah. Yeah, Uh is the Three Musketeers just not a thing here? Or is it just Elaine who's just neglected to... uh, observe the worldwide cultural custom (laughs) of the Three Musketeers. Welcome to Talk Cardboard, a podcast about board games and everything adjacent with me, Elaine, and you... Me, Efka. On today's episode, we'll be cooperatively trick-taking to battle a kraken in sale, stealing cows, church bells and human babies in trolls and princesses, and competitively escaping from our burning planet in evacuation. That last one sounded way more exciting than it actually is, but we'll get to it later. First, though, we've had another email regarding contentification, this time from Chris. They say, I agree with your views on contentification of games and the depreciating use of the word content for the multitude of skilled work that people do. The capitalist theory that the best product wins out in the marketplace seldom proves true and a lot of companies know this especially with crowdfunding companies now want to answer every question a potential backer has with yes expansions plastic miniatures campaign modes a gimmicky cumbersome unnecessary game component yes to everything because they've discovered that collectively people want everything and why sell something more narrow and specific for a lower price rather than sell everything for a bloated price the quality and satisfaction of the end product doesn't matter so long as the sales goal is eclipsed they then go on to talk about uh, how they like white castle because it's a lean game Mm, it is a lean game so uh, now that we've done the voidfall video i actually want to uh accentuate one point from that review i i say at the end of that video i i don't ascribe cynicism to voidfall Mm -hmm. i don't ascribe uh some sort of a malicious intent from the publishers i think it's important to note that once you are in an ecosystem it's very hard not to fight by the rules Mm. in that ecosystem so if the rules are we have to do this to survive then they do this to survive right it and and also another point of note um on 
BGG comments, uh, David Turzi, uh, who kindly at Essenspiel taught me how to pronounce his name. I'm still, I'm still pretty sure I butchered it, but apparently I got pretty close when I tried. Anyway, uh, he did say in the BGG comments, we designed the game we intended to design. Yeah. And I, I think that's very important to recognize, right? But at the same time, there is, um, there is this sort of fine line. Yes, okay, so you've intended to design this, but I, I'm fairly certain that when Friedman Fries designed 504, <laughs> he, in, no, it's not a joke. He, he intended to design, you know, this game that is an amalgam of nine different modules. You plug in any three and it should work. Yes. And theoretically it does. On that note, Friedman Fries succeeds. The question is whether that success is what people actually wanted. And no, I, it, I know it's not a joke. I was laughing because it's like the thing that everyone refers to when they're referring to something being much, much bigger than anything else. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. why I But I, I think it's actually like a perfect analogy, right? Mm. 504 is exactly the game that the designer intended for it to mm -hmm. be, rightly or wrongly, right? Mm -hmm. And Voidfall, I think, is exactly the game that... And according to them, it is exactly the game that they wanted to design. But I can't help but escape to notice that people are responding to it like it is this sort of overburdened game that has too much design in it for it to be as cohesive as it needs to be. Not everyone, right? And mm. and that's fine, right? But I certainly think it's perfectly fine to critique it and it's perfectly fine to critique it from that angle where it it is judged for being maybe too much that it needs to be. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. But it's also very hard to know. Like, it's only because you've spoken to the designer that you know, or one of the designers that you know. Well, they did respond is... publicly, right? So OK, yeah, sure. Yeah. But but there are other designers that make big games. And how do you know that that is the intended outcome of it or not? Like, have they just gone along with what they think people want or have they designed the game with all of this in mind? Well, sometimes I think gears just turn without people's actual intent, mm. you know? People see it as the way to operate yes. and then they yeah. operate, yeah, right? that's what I mean. So, yeah. so I wouldn't ascribe cynicism to the whole shebang, but I think it is important to criticise it. I think it's important to say this is what's happening and then hopefully we can sort of take a look back and go, ha, huh, maybe this shouldn't be like that. Chris also goes on to talk about um, contentification of people. Um, they say, I'm worried that not just algorithms, but also viewers and listeners see so-called creators all the same. There's this idea that you provide stuff, all kinds of stuff, because the numbers tell us that people want everything. I'm increasingly seeing employers tell people, thank you for all you do, as if all of us are just amorphous capsules that plug into an algorithm. And then they go on to, you know, elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, just a disturbing trend in modern day mm. society. And I, it's hard to fight back against that apart from, you know, talking about it, right? Th mm. There is not much more we can do apart from kind of having these conversations and I saying important, yeah. hey you know maybe let's kind of slow down and take stock of what's actually happening um it's weird i you know a, a lot of people were saying 20 years ago this is what's gonna happen right mm -hmm. and and we kind of treated them like cranks with you know <laughs> a baby maybe a bit too much opinion on their mind mm -hmm. you know 
uh, like people like Alan Moore. But Alan Moore literally predicted this, which is terrifying. Let's move on to our first game. Sale comes from publisher All Play by designers Akiyama Koryu and Kozu Yusai with art by Weberson Santiago. Nice, nice Weberson Santiago artwork. <laughs> uh, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's very gorgeous. I, I, there's something about those dark tones and the stark contrast that makes it just feel very weirdly crisp and... And also evokes, uh, I don't know, I'm just going into this whole like full-blown art analysis, but it evokes the treacherousness of the sea. Does that make sense? Because they're not, they're not welcoming. They're not inviting. There's something very like, yeah, right. Like, ooh, this, this feels like we're going into dangerous waters. It's, it's reminiscent. The artwork is reminiscent of um, like oldie worldy maps. (laughs) I I don't know what else you call them. Like the, the maps that have, you know, here be dragons type Uh type uh things. And because they all have uh, like specific lines on them and and this kind of palette this color palette uh but this is very blue uh which is much more pleasing than kind of beige i think um, it's more green and yellow but it does right, have green. blues okay, in it okay sure yeah all sea right. colors there you go okay. sea colors we're arguing about colors this is <laughs> riveting podcast stuff <laughs> no but i i really like uh, the artwork and when the box is very small like sale is I think you know that's that's the first thing you're drawn to, isn't it? It is. I want to say more, but I also kind of want to tell we people. We should talk about the game. Yeah. W- <laughs> w- what is sale? You know. Okay, so sale is a cooperative two-player trick-taking game. If that means something to you, it means everything to you. If it doesn't, have you played the crew? Have you heard of the phenomenon that is the crew? Think the crew, and you're three quarters of the way there. I'm sorry. As soon as you said phenomenon, my head just went do 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 and oh, no. started playing that. I didn't listen to any of the rest of what you said. I said think the crew oh, and yeah, you're three quarters yes, of the way yes. there. Three quarter waters of the way well, there. Nice, yeah. Nice. So sale is very much a similar genre, but mm-hmm. it is actually weirdly a different game. So the crew is predominantly three to five player game, whereas sale is exclusively a two player game. The crew has a two player module which I think works really well. Not everyone agrees. I actually thought, ah, oh, this is probably not going to work. Too. Then we actually tried it. It was quite good. Um, so this is just a two-player game. And unlike the crew, this is a very sharp and very precise trick-taking game. You can't make mistakes in the crew. Like, you're going to lose if mm. you make mistakes. But there's something about the flow where, like, you're kind of leading into one trick from the next trick from the next trick and you're kind of formulating a plan as to how you're going to achieve your objectives sale is a different kind of experience uh much like in the crew you play cards one at a time uh, and you can't talk this is a must follow trick taking game meaning that uh, there are three suits if i play like the green suit then if you have a card of the green suit you must also play a card of the green suit um And the cards are numbered from one through nine. But unlike in the crew, they also have various abilities based on what the number is. So, for example, um, six to eight will have a ship wheel, which will let you move your little ship. And why that's important, I'll explain in just a little bit. Uh, But the difference here is that you're what you're essentially trying to do is you're trying to maximize how much you can achieve every round there are only five rounds in the game and your objective is to sail a ship across the map 
the map is populated. Crossing little diamonds. Yeah. Uh, it's diamond squares. Mm. That's a weird sentence. <laughs> it's diamonds rather than squares, right? And you're you're always, because they're adjacent, you're always either sailing towards one player or the other player. And you're only sailing towards the player that won the trick. So you want to kind of distribute the winning of the tricks in such a way that you will avoid the various obstacles on the map. So sometimes, for example, there's an island that's, uh, if if Elaine wins, we will go into the island. If I win, we will avoid the island, right? So we want me to win the trick. But on top of that, we also have this kind of round timer, which says that as soon as one person wins four tricks, the round ends, meaning that the optimal distribution of winning tricks is one person wins free, another person also wins free, and then one last person wins the last trick yes, that's well, optimum is seven yeah optimum right. is seven whereas it can be as low as four and because there's only five rounds to get to the end you've not been as efficient mm. boohoo on you <laughs> and of course like in the crew you can't communicate with each other what you have in your hands or talk about anything about the game i don't know if the rule book stipulates that you have to be completely silent uh, which no one is going to be but you basically can't talk about the game or signal in any way. Can you, you can't like raise your eyebrows and I mean people twitch your nose well, you, and whatever. You know, we mentioned this in our Sky Team review, and mm. I'll actually come back to Sky Team in a second. Uh, but you you shouldn't communicate like that. But people can't stop themselves from doing it. Do you it, think someone who uh, could, is very good at reading like body language, like a you know I don't know an MI five inspector or whatever they're called, would be better at playing this because they would be like, oh, you've got this card because. You know, are, are you saying they're that, giving tells all the time? Are you saying or someone that someone who's a really good poker player? Are you saying that if you played this with Jackson Lamb, <laughs> it, I might have slow horses on my brain? Yeah, right now. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I don't know. I think it, it's part of the charm of zero communication games that you will inevitably communicate whether you like it or not, whether you are allowed to or not. You will give tells away, mm. and that's kind of part of the game. You're just meant to not as much <laughs> as possible so i'm kind of circling around this but here here's my entry into the criticisms right the way the game has so far been received is either very positively or people just don't like it right and i think you will get both of these opinions on this podcast uh so i think one of us definitely liked it less than the other but having said that, the other being me didn't entirely love it either. Oh, yeah, I'm the one that liked it. You, you're Am not. The, no, 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 me. I'm, oh, I see, oh, I see. Sorry, that was a very confusingly worded sentence. I like half of you as much as I should like. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. OK, one of us didn't like it. One of us liked it, but didn't love it. I, I would say that's a fair summation. And I'm the one who liked it, but didn't love mm. it. And you're the one who just didn't like it at all. Not a huge amount, no. No. Um, and I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it all comes down to the cadence of the game. So I did mention that there aren't just free suits. There's free suits, but the values also have meaning. So you will only move if the two cards that you've played both have ship wheels on them, right? So uh, there's cards with ship wheels, 
and ship wheels with a tentacle as well and the tentacle will deal your ship one damage and that's mm -hmm. another way mm -hmm. that you can lose the game mm -hmm. there's this little deck of damage cards you don't start the game with ones and twos in the deck but as you take damage from the kraken from the kraken yeah. the ones and twos will come into your deck and they also have the kraken symbol but there's also ca cards with cannons mm -hmm. and if you play a ship wheel with a kraken and a cannon then you blast the kraken and you get to put that out of your deck but then you're not moving which you should be moving because if you don't move past certain thresholds in certain rounds you will also lose the game uh right. then there's the double mermaid thing which is just the thing we were calling the whale yeah the thing we were <laughs> calling the whale because we weren't paying attention <laughs> to the artwork on the card just the symbol because the symbol looked like a whale tail uh -huh. but like clearly the card has artworks <laughs> of mermaids which we both just ignored and after about like three games i was like these are mermaids <laughs> anyway it's only funny to us <laughs> right um but it's a devious mechanism because so there's three suits which means there's three nines the highest cards right nine always obviously wins the trick because there's no trump if you can't follow then you know it, the nine's still gonna win if you can't follow the nine's gonna win right so a nine wins you the trick which is not necessarily good because sometimes you don't want to win tricks but on top of that the mermaid does nothing unless the other player also plays a mermaid and because this is a must follow game you have to only play the mermaid in a situation where you know that the person also has a mermaid but does not have any cards of the color that your mermaid is in so they can play their mermaid and in which case you get a double move and that's like really cool right because double move gets you far and you want the double move and it also moves you in a straight rather than mm. zigzagging mm. right so that's really neat and engineering that i think we managed it on our third game of sale it seems much easier initially <laughs> than it actually is it's it's really hard because you can't communicate you don't know what's in the other player's hand because the the entire deck isn't dealt out and the only way you can signal to the other person is, this is a neat mechanism in most trick-taking games, you pass one card to each other at the beginning of the round. And most of the time, you're going to be passing them a cannon or a kraken wheel, because when you're passing them one, you're saying, I have the other, we can kill the kraken, nice little move. You set up, you set up like some initial plays, basically. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of how we did it, isn't it? Yeah. Well, sometimes you pass them a uh, mermaid if you have two mermaids in your hand. And you also have, a like, you pass them the mermaid of the color that you have none, none of, of. Uh right? And you have another mermaid. So you're basically saying, if you play this mermaid, I will be able to play another mm. mermaid. But a lot of it is learned through trial and error. <laughs> Very much, yeah because you can't communicate you go into this game like you really need experience with it right and and you really need to understand the flows and the turns and like how you're able to manipulate you you get like asymmetric powers at the mm. start like mm. you you can pick a pirate and it says hey if you play like two tentacles right then you will get like a double-double move, which is just amazing. But then you realize that not only do you have to take like two damage for having achieved that, so that's like a, 
a, a kind of a last stance kind of move where you're either going to die or win or something like that. And then on top of that, not only that, but you have to play two cards of the same value, which means much like the mermaids, you have to have them shut out one color and you have to know that the other person doesn't have any more of that color and has the right card. It's just so hard to I'm, engineer. I was so gonna say, so these powers are just very hard to mm. achieve. Yeah, I was going to say that they, they feel a bit situational. But as we were playing, uh, they felt almost more of... Uh, I said it was a consolation prize, but that's not really the, the right uh, phrase. It's like, if this happens, like if you end up taking the two damage because you've played these cards, oh, you get this yeah. for it. Like yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's, it's something to make it less punishing i think mm. i don't know they're, they're all quite different and they all do different things and we found that some of them are more use or were more useful in our games than others yeah i i think so they feel engineered towards a very precise type of mm. play and i think it's important to recognize that going into sale this is only a game for you if you really dig trick-taking games. Mm. And you do. I do. I'm still not sure that I love it because it requires that not only is the other person is so into it, right? It requires a partner who you're comfortable spending a lot of time in silence. It requires a partner who's also comfortable with you having a game that beats you over the head. Metaphorically. Well, yeah, kind of, you know, it just, you just sit there and go, oh, okay, I'm learning. I am learning how this one specific system works. And it basically needs you to be okay with just like another person sitting in silence and going, how do we navigate this thing? How can we learn? How many games is it going to take us to learn? And, and it's, it's a very sharp and smart game. It's designed in a way where it knows exactly what it wants to do but unlike games like the crew or sky team that we recently reviewed it's a game that wants to show you how smart it is rather than letting you feel a little bit smart yeah, by yourself said, wasn't it? yeah mm -hmm. and I, it did make me feel like a bit of a dafty uh and i think like what you said about you need to play it with someone who you trust right because you're learning t together mm -hmm. you're learning how to do this together and if you play with someone who is a bit impatient and you're making some mistakes because you can't read their mind right you might yeah. play a card that you think is good and then it turns out not to be that effective um they could be quite mean about it maybe so yeah you're you are absolutely right you need to play with someone who is has some patience yeah i mean uh, and you'll be patient together and discover this together. We're pretty comfortable with each other, but even we both exhibited this, where like one of us plays a card and the other one just goes, <sighs> like. But, and I mean, it, that's the game, though. You're not upset with the other person. You're yeah, just, you're upset mm. with like, oh no, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I thought this was going to be quite a good turn, and it turned out to not be. Or the other way round, you know, where, yeah. where you just play a card and hope for the best. Well, I, I guess the problem with that is that a big part of it is guesswork, mm -hmm. right? You, you don't, uh, unlike in other games that are either trick-taking games or cooperative tr trick-taking games, it's very hard to work out mm. what is in the hand of the other person because there's not that much information going around. 
And also there is a, a lot because you have so many cards. Uh, you start with nine cards mm-hmm. um, each round. Well, like Whereas with uh, something like Sky Team, where there are only four dice and two of those dice are already allocated because there are two um, manoeuvres, two things that you have to do each time. It's so free and open that it's very, very hard to figure out exactly what your, especially your first moves are going to be. Especially when, you know, the other player also has (laughs) nine cards in their hand. Um, And I think you, uh, I think maybe because you've played more trick takers than me, but you are very good at engineering whether you want to win a trick or not. I am less good at that. Um, So in this where there is this to and fro of you win a trick, you know, then I I win a trick or whatever. We we need to engineer it so that the boat moves in the right direction. I'm not necessarily very good at that. Um, And I think that um, because you are... You did a lot. You, you like you. Your thought process was a lot more solid than mine. I think it's not just that. It's it, there's also an element of anticipating who's gonna, you know, be able to win tricks in this game that is harder to pass than in others. Mm. Because again, you're right. I, I, you know, I've played trick taking games since like I was a kid. You know, like since I was five. I had a deck of cards playing Durak, and then uh, I think the name for it is Russian Schnapps and is the other one, you know, that was very popular when I was growing up. So, I, I you know, trick-taking games from, from a very long time ago, familiar with them, familiar with engineering, you know, how to take tricks, how to lose tricks. Um, but, but there's so little information going around mm. in this game that you have to guess. And it's so important because it's important to be able to pass to the other player, you know, to say, hey, you're taking tricks now. And and it just, a lot of it is just guesswork and just, you know, playing a card and going, I think this might work, maybe, I don't know, we'll see, right? But that is where sometimes the ones and twos come in quite quite nicely. Because yeah. if you're playing a one, and, one or a two, then you know you're probably going to lose that trick. Well, yeah, but again, uh, you want to get rid of them. And on the other hand... Uh, you know they don't move your boat and then on the third hand also there's not that much difference between a one and a two because mm. you know if, they're likely not circulating in the deck together of of the same color because they're shuffled in a separate deck at the beginning and so you might get like a blue two and a green one mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. so the difference between a one and a two is almost always negligible and when it isn't it's devastating because you miscalculated based on like random bits of information Mm. that maybe you remembered and there's some help in there you can peruse the discard i wouldn't play this game if you couldn't can we talk a little bit about the progression of the game yes i think that's that's where my main criticism Mm. comes in because like what i've described i know i'm not sounding too hot on it because i do find it a little arduous but there is also where i feel like this biggest this game's biggest downfall is is that it's misdeveloped. And I don't mean misdeveloped by, like, you know, the developers made a mistake. I just feel like the packaging of it ruined this game because the way it comes in is... Uh, so this is from publisher Allplay, who we had a minor rant about for their rule books in the last episode. And I have to say, 
sale is confusing as well in terms of rulebook. Not as confusing as some of the other ones, but there's like specific terminology on cards. Like I remember going, what does you mean in this game? Mm. And then literally went on Board Game Geek and there's a rule spread saying, what does you mean in this game? And I'm mm. like, okay, I'm not the only one. Is it you plural or just yeah. that player? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. Uh, so so there's some lack of precision there. Uh, but also uh, the way it comes in is uh, there's the box, there's the mini expansion sold separately, and then there's the deluxe upgraded components, which sure are nice, but whatever. Um, and it's that separation of the expansion, which I think should be in the box by default, but also how that expansion was developed. I basically think this game should have not had an expansion. Everything sh just should have been together. Because when you begin, begin playing the game, there's a learning scenario and then there's five scenarios in the core game. All of the scenarios, the way they differ, is that you have to get further on this island. So get your ship faster and further as you go along. That's the difference. Mm. And honestly, looking at scenario five, I'm like, I don't know how you do that. I think you have to play like 20 games or something like that, if not more, to be good enough and then have some luck on your side, you know, because this is a trick-taking game. So luck is a factor. Um, so it's not particularly exciting. But then there is an expansion that varies things up. It adds new elements to the map. There's like whirlpools and you know uh ally ships and they provide various bonuses if you land on these spaces and that's like oh cool right like and the the scenario design looks more varied but that is labeled as scenario six as in and i looked at it and i was like yeah okay that makes sense this is harder than mm. the hardest scenario mm. in the base game so to get to these more interesting elements that feel a little bit more lenient and a little bit more, you know, dynamic and add more zhuzh to the game, which I think is much needed because it feels punitive at all times. Mm -hmm. They're only available once you like beat the hard mode, mm -hmm. right? I think that the scenarios should have been designed with these new elements, slowly introducing them uh, in slightly easier scenarios so you could have a bit more fun with them. Yeah, right? Rather than, you know, get to the very end of the map, achieve the hardest, then you can have more funky scenarios, but then it's even harder. So I think the campaign is totally mismanaged mm. and it doesn't provide enough interest for me to want to go into it. Mm. I said to you that scenarios one to five feel almost like when you have a solo game and it has like a, a little score at the end of how well you did and you try and you know in in your solo game beat beat yourself each time yeah right but this isn't a solo which is fine which is fine because that's the fun of trying to beat your previous score right yeah. and get better at the game but this is not a solo game this is something you are doing with someone else and i don't know if that's fun because you are trying to manage all of this and also the scenarios again it requires a very specific partner mm. right it requires a partner where you're both really into trick-taking games. You like zero communication games. You like punitive games. If you don't like talking to your partner, then it's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, there is the, you know, okay, jokes aside, there is that sense of achievement, you know. They're like, course, oh, yeah. we made that hard thing, you know. I so, think we did a little high five when we 
when we uh, yeah absolutely certain that we game, did yeah yeah, yeah. um <laughs> i watched some playthroughs i thought we were doing horribly i watched some playthroughs of the game and i was like oh we're not doing that bad you know <laughs> like we're all right we beat this scenario you know um so yeah i didn't hate it i just think it has a very niche audience and trick taker is already a niche audience I think this is a niche within a niche within a niche kind of thing mm-hmm. where there are people out there who will absolutely love this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But having two of them in the same room and knowing them, knowing each other well enough to to enjoy this, that's going to be good luck. <laughs> Talking of progressively harder and harder games that can feel a bit frustrating, um, I have been playing Super Mario 3... <laughs> Again, do you want to say uh, thank you to Mark? I do want to say a massive thank you because um, he helped you find a onion Game Boy. An onion is that what you're calling it? I don't know what else to call it. Yeah, I don't know what it's actually called. Retro game emulator. Yeah, retro game emulator. Um, And I am very much enjoying the fact that because we live in 2023, uh, I can now save the game. Uh, and I don't have to complete all eight worlds in one go with the lives that I'm given or get throughout the game. I don't know. I th- I don't know if it's because I'm older now yeah. and I just don't have time for this, right? But I don't know how, when I was small, I managed to beat this game uh, without you know without being able to like turn the console off without anything without uh, being able to turn the uh, nes off or stop it or anything i just had to do the entire thing in one go i don't know how i got there i don't know how i had that patience well as a kid you have time in summer don't you so, <laughs> i guess you do yeah, yeah, yeah i guess yeah maybe maybe that was just it yeah i have adult responsibilities now i can't i can't be doomed with that i need i need a save game thank you the good thing about board games is that because they're cardboard in front of you like if if you're doing poorly you can just go okay we'll start again <laughs> you know and no harm done <laughs> but you can't do that in super mario but i've been really really enjoying it i'm only on world three uh right now and you've been having a go too yeah do you know this was supposed to be your christmas present and it you, was. You, i know i know but you said do you want it now i said yeah all right then and then i've been playing it ever since so <laughs> i just your face lit up so much you were like is that a game boy i said well kind of <laughs> you know i mean i know it wasn't a you know game boy i'm not yeah stupid <laughs> Um, thanks for clarifying that well you know because i can because i'm at that age now where i go oh uh have you been on the facebook or you know what i mean like oh jesus you know you know this kind of thing i'm i'm there i'm there i do that sort of thing so i'm just clarifying that that i knew what it was uh but no i i i dreamed about having like a game by color or uh, this is just amazing like it's only 30 years late right Uh (laughs) it's incredible yeah it's incredible um but no i'm have being able to save the game and like dying and then going okay i'll just reload it it's it's amazing but but we played toy story as well which was a a game boy game that i had which i did not finish Uh um and i can see why i didn't finish it now it was incredibly frustrating incredibly difficult and I, I clearly gave up on it. And I, the reason I gave up on it was because I, I remember doing okay and then the batteries on my Game Boy dying. Um, and so, and I just went, no, I've had enough of that. Do you know, uh, 
just experiencing Toy Story, uh, the video game for Game Boy, right? Mm -hmm. As a as a forty year old person, right? <laughs> was something else it's like what's wrong with the gravity why is woody jumping like <laughs> no, he's right. slowed down he's on but the on moon. the moon yeah it's so bizarre uh that, yeah that was a terrible game i got to re-experience on, on your new retro handheld yeah. emulator uh -huh. darkwing duck uh which was oh that uh, looked really hard that's yeah. really difficult i beat that game as a kid as well it was like how did i do that without like save states <laughs> I, know, I, know, I must have right? gotten really good at it we must have been very patient children yeah anyway thanks mark thank we you really so really much. appreciate it thank you efka for my yeah. brilliant christmas present. and and check out mark's podcast if you're not familiar about board games it's a podcast i listen to all the time regularly every tuesday morning because that's in england that's when it comes out every tuesday morning so very wrong about games is the name of the podcast mark and walker other hosts they're excellent if that if you're into board games and that board game podcast is not on your rotation something's gone wrong before we move on to our next game we've had an email from ben with thoughts about going green ben says just listened to your Going Green episode and absolutely loved it. I fully agree with your thoughts on Kickstarters changing how games are made. You mentioned it was like trying to buy a boat slash car. I think this is what happened to the car market in America. When companies realised they could make more profit off SUVs, they flooded the market. I tried to buy a new car, but they are only selling SUVs in my area. I feel the same with new games. Sometimes I want a small game with good gas mileage. Forest Shuffle sounds perfect for me right now. Hey, uh, Forest Shuffle is indeed an excellent little game. Uh, I'll repeat what I said in our review. It's going to get overlooked. It's a shame. It shouldn't be. It's just that good. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, Elaine at nopunincluded.com. Still to come, we have Evacuation, but first we have a game whose first player decider is the person with the biggest nose. Trolls and Princesses comes from publisher Game Brewer by designer Pim Thunberg and art by Edu Valls. Wow, where, where to begin? <laughs> um, so Trolls and Princesses, we're not allowed to make drug references oh. because because i didn't know we were going there well you know the, there there is there is an element of this game where you describe the setting and the response is what were they thinking and well, i think it's, it's based on like folk tales isn't it no folk i mean tales it, are dark. no they are dark but like i and I'm, I'm not saying like what were they thinking in a kind of negative way mm -hmm. right i'm mm -hmm. not saying what were they thinking bad but like what were they thinking? And when I say thinking, I don't really mean thinking. I mean something else. But again, we're not allowed to oh, make. I see. We're not allowed to make drug references. What do you mean the the, the writers of the folk tales originally? Or the designers of this game as well. Like wh what what thought process led to sitting them sitting down and saying, "Let's make a board game where you play as trolls that kidnap human babies." and then feed them to snakes uh because i'm pretty sure that's what you're doing in this game but like that's that loads of folk tales you know i'm not saying this at, is a bad thing look at little red riding Hood, i'm not like. this isn't a criticism i'm just saying <laughs> it's out there 
or you know the tinder box or something they they all have death and gore and trolls and I mean, things being f- children being fed to, and and that's what you're sold when you're a kid as well like yeah. if you don't behave the troll is going to yeah. come and like capture you and eat you i know but when it's a fairy tale it's like okay this is a fairy tale when you're <laughs> when you're simulating it as an environment in a board game it's so <laughs> bizarre it is such a bizarre game okay so you you play as trolls, as competing troll clans who live in a cave and trying to mine, like, obsidian and diamond and stuff like that. In the process of which, you need to kidnap human people who then work in the mines. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to kidnap human babies. Mm-hmm. And uh, replace them with changelings or whatever they're called. Replace them with changelings, yes. Because within the objective of the game, it's it's the changeling it's the replacing of the changeling that matters, even though it barely does anything. But but the changeling is there. There is a little figure of a troll baby that you place in the village uh, instead of the human baby that was there in the first place. Uh, and then you feed the baby to cards that have snakes, bats, and for a bonus and, and mm-hmm. something else. Spiders, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, you kidnap princesses from a tower and then you make a little cave room with a princess bed so that the princess can live there. Uh, that gets you lots of points. Uh, <laughs> multiple princesses you can have too. Yeah, yeah. Not just one. Well, because when you kidnap one, another one comes in to replace her because they, yeah. the humans need a princess. You so know. you just keep kidnapping them. Yeah, you just keep kidnapping them. They're frogs. Yeah. It's frogs. Oh, Sorry. frogs. Yeah, yeah you feed them up. for frogs. Okay. And and also, you know, they just it's just this like economic cycle of where all of that makes sense. <laughs> Somehow. Somehow. You know Yeah, I thought the changelings, when I read the description and like read the sort of blurb at the beginning of the rule book, I thought the changelings were gonna have some kind of mechanism because it said like uh, trolls can be, you know, they look like trolls, but they can also disguise themselves as other things. And I thought, oh, how is that going to translate yeah. into the game? And it, it really doesn't. You're just capturing things. Oh, uh, and also trying to uh, ring, uh, no, trying to take bells down off towers because trolls don't like bells. Yes. So you're trying to take the bells off the towers and then cover up a bonus <laughs> with, <laughs> with <them>. the bell. <laughs> yeah. Just put it somewhere in your cave. Put it somewhere or other. Yeah. Yeah. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, right. And yeah, I think I think the most weird thing about it is that there is this sort of logistical economy tied around to all these actions that just sort of make sense to you for some reason, right? You just go about and do it because that's what you do because you're a troll and you know you go around kidnap babies, kidnap people, princesses. Mm -hmm. You know, mine some diamond for whatever reason. There's a troll king as well, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, oh, he moves around. He helps you out. Yeah, he helps you out. W- what a weird game. And what makes that work stylistically? When I describe it on a podcast, I realize it sounds really out there and like a reach. But what makes it work stylistically is the exceptional artwork in this board game. Mm-hmm. It it just ties it all around into this package where like yeah i get it it makes sense somehow it's quite magical the artwork isn't it yeah so um yeah now comes the unfortunate part which is the game itself which is i don't want to say bunk i didn't i didn't hate it as much as you did i I really didn't like this game i i really didn't like this game 
and I think when you're saying you didn't hate it as much as I did, I think you're being polite. <laughs> because... I think it was a bit sad that you had to capture cows and put them in like a cave. I thought it was a bit cruel. Yeah. But you know, oh, that's another thing you capture. Yeah. You know, that's how t- trolls work. I guess. Right. Like... Yeah. You capture cows, put them in pens inside mm, a cave. Yep. Mm. Uh, I don't know. It just. Oh, and then spend them for things. Yeah. So. <laughs> So this is a Euro game and a sort of a point salad Euro game where mm. all of these actions are translated into you trying to accrue the most points, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's got this bizarre worker placement mechanism where you have basically three areas on your board mm-hmm. where you place trolls, right? And at the beginning of the round you will move a troll to one of the areas Mm -hmm. and then do some actions there. And then you move another troll to another area and do some actions there. And then you can, so you have three regions in the cave where you move the trolls and they each have different sets of actions. And you also have the human villages where you can move the trolls and they work in the same way. But additionally, you might be able to count other players' trolls in the human villages for these, like, souped-up, powered-up actions. Uh, but Right, and, and the amount of action points you have depends on how many trolls and or humans you have in that specific area. Exactly, right? And so you, you kind of... The weird cadence of this game is that you want to have a lot of trolls in one area uh, because you get more action points. And you move them to that one area... But you only want to do the same action block so many Mm -hmm. times. So you then want to move trolls to other areas. And there's ways you can do that. You can sort of like navigate your trolls around. But it's an exciting premise. But I think where it falls down for me is that the game was designed to accommodate this weird idea and this weird setting, which normally I'm for right like it's nice when it feels thematically cohesive and thematically it's it's spot on like what you do makes perfect sense mechanically it feels just rote and dull yeah i yeah i agree i i didn't like the game i i liked it more than you did and i did like actually what you call the weird worker placement mechanism i i quite liked how how you moved uh, one troll and then the amount of trolls you had depended on how many uh, action points you had in that area. I, I quite I thought that was quite clever. Or uh, you could do something in the in the village, you know, mm. uh, and that again depended on how many trolls you had, but also on how many trolls the other player had. So I, I, I liked that quite a lot. But where I felt that it kind of fell apart for me was towards the end of the game um it got very like you said very rote um you were doing the same thing just for the sake of doing it because this is what you had to do because we had to get to the end of the game yeah and nothing it started off quite quite difficult to get the actions and so it made you think like where am i going to put my troll how am i going to do this i want this i want this you know i need this to pay for this blah 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 and then by the end it was like okay i get this i get this i get this you know Mm. And, and it just got a little bit uh, dull i don't want to say dull That's it, it is dull though I, I think dull is a fair assessment because um he, let's let's take a game that's not anything like this but mm. has some 
a genealogical similarity to this where it's just a lot of like a lot of different mechanisms uh -huh. that are bolted together uh like a feast for odin it mm -hmm. just has a bajillion action slots and you can't take the same ones all the time you kind of want to circulate between them and and you also have to like you know like have multiple workers to have a better mm -hmm, action mm -hmm. you know and achieve more with what you can do with something like a feast for odin there's a very clear progression in the game you know you are uh expanding this tetris puzzle that that you've started and you can take on more challenges by having these like extra islands come in and and try to fill them up and the more you fill them up like the more kind of like bonuses mm. you sort of accrue here what happens is this strange back and forth where none of the actions ever become more interesting and nothing congeals into a more kind of sensible tangible like progression uh it, it's just you're flitting about between things you've done and things you haven't done and things you've done and things you haven't done so like uh, getting a bell or getting a princess is hard but it's pretty good so you try to engineer that so you get a princess and you're like okay that's gonna score me a bunch of points at the end of the game cool back to doing like little kind of things to soup myself up and and get into that action slot with the right number of workers and then do the thing again and it's it's back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and it feels like these big achievements don't translate into anything apart from well they will be points at the end of the game but i don't feel like i've grown i've achieved mm, anything yeah. you know yeah yeah it, it's it's more kind of like points yeah points in a hamster wheel you know <laughs> like you complete a rotation something will fall down yes and then you start running through the hamster wheel again, yeah, right? Yeah, the gumball machine, feeding coins into the gumball machine. You're always going to get a prize, but, you know, what is it going to be this time? Yeah. Yeah. So some of the things we haven't mentioned are uh, you also get, uh, not a Tetris puzzle, a pentagonal kind of shape puzzle where, like, you have these, not hexes, you have these pentagons that you expand your mind. And then there's like, these little symbols that you can conjoin together and they'll be... Uh, resources that you will be able to populate and mine later like obsidian and diamond and gold and then if you mine them you will be able to take the important actions mm -hmm. like uh stealing a princess or <laughs> you know dis whatever. destroying a bell or whatever yeah. that needs these resources for you to be able to do those actions so a lot of it you're building this pentagonal puzzle you know uh mm -hmm. and expanding your mind and it might unlock special abilities or whatever but again they feel situational and slight rather than like a cohesive part of a strategy strategy that you're building mm. i agree i liked a, a lot of the elements in it individually but altogether, i didn't feel like it it worked well yeah i know which is a shame because the game I, I, I know I started with, like, what were they thinking, right? But, like, no, really, what were they thinking? I want to know. Because it's, it's whatever was cooking, you know, it's pretty good. Because it, it's a very surreal, bizarre setting. And it works. I was enthralled by this absurd notion mm. of me being a troll and wanting to kidnap babies. It doesn't make any sense, apart from that's what fairy tales were like, but in a way that is pleasing, like in the same way that we watch Fargo and something <laughs> out there happens and you're like, this doesn't make any sense, but I'm but a, okay. a grand time. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, here, I get that from the theme. I don't get that from the gameplay. Mm. And it's such a shame because, yeah, the setting is 
is top notch. I love folk tales, right? And I love learning about other cultures. So I would love to see more folk tales in games, like become games, I think. Yeah. That work. And um, it's weird because it skirts this line where like kidnapping women what like what is it's that fine. But it's kind of fine you know because it's clearly riffing on something in a very deliberate way yeah. you know um it, it, it's trying to evoke a specific you know folk motif and mm. and and kind of highlighted maybe even deliberately like these are not good things you're doing right at no point are you pretending that like no. oh this is fine it's not fine but it's like one of the things that I took away from listening to uh, Mark Kermode's excellent film review podcast with Simon Mayo is that uh, there's a very fine line between comedy and horror. Mm -hmm. And actually, the two are incredibly inter interchangeable. Yes. Uh, you've been recently getting into horror films. Yeah. And we've, I think one of the things we've noticed, in, and I, th I think you've noticed this, was that when something horrific happens, we laugh. Be Sometimes, yeah, depends some, what it is. Yeah, like you know, we go <laughs> right. I mean, well, I mean, look at Home Alone. I know that's neither really horror or, well, I guess it's a comedy, right? Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's a cartoony a violence in it. Like everything yeah. that happens to the robbers uh, is funny. Yeah, right. But it's not really because they, you know, they're getting hurt like <laughs> right? severely. Yeah. Like severely hurt, but it's funny. Mm. And I, I, is that the kind of thing you mean? I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it works in the same way, you know, when you watch something like Talk To Me, it's like, it's, there's a horrific scene, but you can't help but laugh because it's absurd, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I think this game straddles that line really, really well in its setting, where it's like, this is not okay, but it's funny, right? And we know what you're going for, you know, so it's it's cool, right? I, I, I like that. I wish there was more of that, but I just wish it was tied to a better game where I feel a lot of the mechanisms exist to accommodate the setting, but it feels ultimately like glue rather than mm. interesting gameplay. What's your favorite horror film that you watch? Now Now that we've watched a bunch of horror films together, what's the one that what's you were like? That's a good question. That is a good question. I don't know, really. Um, I like The Shining a lot. I, because I like it visually. I thought visually it, it was just incredible. I like the carpet, yeah. example. Yeah. Um, but I appreciate kind of an out of this world element sometimes. Um, so, so the black phone was was good for that as well, right? So th maybe 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 not the black phone was my favorite, but I enjoyed th that sort of genre. It almost skirts on magical realism, doesn't yes. it? Yeah, it's yeah. I enjoy magical realism generally. So, yeah, mm. if there's a horror film that that's not too scary because it has, you know, a bit of fantasy in it uh, that you're just asked to accept for the film, I think that's fine. Did you like Doctor Sleep, the sequel? Yes. To, yeah, that was actually surprisingly good, but not surprisingly because it's Mike Flanagan. So, <laughs> you know, big shout outs to Mike Flanagan. <laughs> Who's clearly listening <laughs> to this podcast? Do you have a favourite of the ones we watched recently? Um, you know, it's going to be a tried answer, but just just how scarred I was after Midsommar, uh. I was like, I watched that on my own the first time I watched it, and I watched it in complete darkness. You were asleep, and there's that scene where everything changes, and when that happened, I was just like, ah, ah! I had to pause the film and and like take two minutes 
and go, okay, I can go back into this again. So just that moment left a really strong impression. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, do you know, I, I re we recently rewatched 2001 because mm. we were having a chat with Ian O'Toole at Essenspiel. And I said, do you think 2001 is a horror film? And I realized it's been a while since I watched 2001. And I, he said, no, I think it is. I think it is a horror film. I think it's horror in space. It's just that it, like most good horror films, it's less about what it is than what it is actually about. That didn't make any sense, but I know what I meant by that. <laughs> Let's talk about our last game this episode. Evacuation comes from publisher Delicious Games by designer Vladimir Suchi with art by Michael uh, Pechel. You're going to tell me I've told this, I've said this completely wrong. Okay, you? I'm going to try it. I think it's Vladimir Suchi uh, mm -hmm. because... I mean, just going based off of my knowledge of Slavic languages, I, I don't speak Czech. But what about the art? Uh, Michal Pechel? I, I don't know. It's hard. This one's hard. Uh, I, I hope I did that correct. So, evacuation. I guess in what continues to be a theme of this episode, I'm not impressed. I think it's mistitled. What do you think it should be called? I think it should be called Logistics. Because that's what's happening in this game. So the setting of the game is the sun is getting too hot. Mm. It's expanding, which is just... I'm, I'm not a physicist. I don't have any real physics knowledge. I'm just an amateur enjoyer of astrophysics, mm -hmm. right? I, I just try and keep up as much as I can, right? But even I know that the sun, whilst it is true, it is expanding, it's not just going to start randomly going, I'm getting bigger very fast, you know, for no reason whatsoever. If there are actual physicists listening, astrophysicists, who know better and can correct me that I'm wrong, please do write in. But as far as I know, it's not just going to randomly go, Haha! <laughs> getting getting much bigger now, very very quickly. Anyway, so that's the setting. The, the, the sun is getting bigger very quickly. We must evacuate How, Earth. Is it is it that it's getting bigger quickly, or is it that we've just found another planet very late to evacuate to? I feel like technology would be way more advanced where where it wouldn't be such an issue to. Just... I mean, if we can take an entire stadium yeah. from one planet to like, another, right? Can Can I just say I know that. Currently, there isn't any solution to interstellar travel that sounds any kind of plausible, right? But if the sun is going to expand to the point where Earth is becoming literally uninhabitable within the course of a couple of years, because this game takes place over four years, mm -hmm. right? If we get to that situation and we haven't figured out interstellar travel yet, yet we are still somehow alive as a species... Mm -hmm. Things have gotten really sad really fast. <laughs> like, it's a grim future we're describing. Anyway, so that's the setting. The sun is getting hot very fast. We must evacuate Earth within four years to a place called the New Planet. That's the setting. Mm -hmm. Right? N not a fan of the setting. The game itself, I, I think is all right, you know? I I enjoyed evacuation for what it was. I don't really want to come back to it again. So let's describe what this is. Uh, and actually, not to invoke a designer's previous games, because I don't like to sort of compare and contrast, but sometimes that 
that is informative. And I think in, in this case, it is. So the last time we played a, a Vladimir Suhi game was Underwater Cities. And uh, that felt like a slightly different experience uh, to his games that I've experienced in the past. But mainly I know Vladimir Suhi uh, for um, Lost Will and Prodigal's Club, which were both games set around that sort of setting of nitwit millionaires shedding their wealth, <laughs> right? Transference of wealth, yeah. This is a game about transference of wealth. You are transferring wealth from uh, the old planet, a.k.a. Earth, uh, to... Uh, is it Earth? Yes. It just says the old planet. Well, maybe it isn't even Earth, no. you know. Yeah. Uh, to New Planet, also no name. Um, new Planet. Yeah, New Planet. And what you have is basically a Euro game where you need resources and you need to maintain these resources on both the old planet and the new planet. But based on which round it is, there's different needs and different priorities. So there are three resources in this game and uh, they are steel, food, and energy. At the beginning of the game, you have no production in the new planet because no evacuation has happened yet. And you have all of the production on the old planet. So you have... You produce seven of each resource, right? Which is a total of 21, I guess. Uh, and a lot of the food is already eaten up because on the first round, you have food upkeep. And that food upkeep is five for the old planet, zero for you new planet. You still have a lot of people on the old planet. Yeah. Mm. But then as you go through the course of these four rounds, you are uh, your needs change every round. So on round two, you will need four food on the old planet. And still zero on the new planet. But then on round three, you need two food on the old planet and two food on the new planet. And then mostly you just need food on the new planet. You also need energy to take actions because how many actions you can take, it relies solely on how much energy you have. So the first action is nothing. The second action is nothing. The third action needs one energy, then two energy, then three energy, and then free energy, free energy, and so on. Mm. So you can take as many actions as you like as long as you can pay the energy cost, right? At the beginning of the game, you were paying the energy cost only from the old planet. Then you have these AI satellites that you need to transfer from the old planet to the new one as well. And as they travel, you can sort of start paying energy from both planets, then only from the new planet. And these jumps and transferences are quite ab abrupt and drastic, where you realize like, okay, I don't need any food on the new planet. I don't need any food on the new... Suddenly, I really need food on the new planet. And if I've not been making that happen somehow, I have to take actions that are quite costly to me. And mm. I generally don't want to take to engineer these resources. Now, the food upkeep is, is kind of tied into this other specific mechanism, which is where this game is quite bizarre and quite unlike other Euro games. Um, there is only one way to win which is to be the first to achieve the winning conditions there are no victory points unless you're playing with the module that introduces victory points but let's put that aside what you want is a production of eight of each of the free resources on the new planet you want to have free stadiums as well which if you ask me what a stadium is my answer is i'm still not entirely sure within the scope of the game yeah within the scope of the game they are a thing you aquarium. build. Yeah, it's a. It can be a board game. Mm -hmm. It's an aquarium. 
uh, it's some sort of like theme park or something. Some person in a ball. Yeah, some person in a ball that <laughs> seems to be a card. Maybe that's just like an I automobile. Know, maybe. Yeah, like some sort of absorbing automobile. That's also a stadium. But they're basically things you build that you pay resources for. Um, and and so you just try and achieve it. As soon as you achieve, one person achieves these, the game end triggers, and then you apply the penalties. And if after penalties you still manage to maintain these things, you win. If both of you do, smiley faces come in as a tiebreaker which have only been before relevant to determine turn order, but suddenly they're all irrelevant. But then maybe none of you achieved the winning condition, where then it's whoever has the most of the least of the resource production that they have. And various other tiebreakers, I don't like this system at all. I think it's clunky and convoluted, and it makes passing the end state of the game very difficult and diverts your brain like workout coefficient i guess mm. you know towards things where you're trying to pass how this end game is going to trigger and who's going to come out where towards just like trying to achieve your goals it's very bizarre and jarring but that's just an aside um so yeah you are effectively transferring wealth now the way you do that is also very intermixed because you have these things on the old world that produce things that are like sites and population, and then they just give you things. But you take penalties for not transferring them to the new world. But when you transfer them, they become prefabs and population that you can put down physically on a map, mm. which is another different action, which will increase your production in that type of thing. And then whether they're prefab or not, you know, depends on where you can place them. And also whether it costs resources to place them. So there's, there's wheels within wheels within wheels where, like, you know what you need to do. Dismantle the old production, put it, like, on a spaceship maybe, or have other ways of getting it on the new world, and then build them. But every action has, like, these clauses that kind of like, oh, I need this, oh, I need that. And you can do any number of actions, but again, you're restricted by energy but then you know you've been dismantling energy production on the old world but you need it but then the ai shuttles have transferred now suddenly you can use new energy <laughs> new world energy you know it's everything is very dynamic and very shifting and very hard to track of and you need to be on top of everything, everything. Mm. in this game to be able to kind of manage that logistical transfer and that's why i say this game shouldn't be called evacuation because the setting doesn't make sense to me, but but it is Earth, by the way. It I is just Earth. Checked. Okay, we, we are leaving the Earth. But but also, what you do is you're not evacuating. You're not concerned with the well-being of people, and you know, kind of like uh, I guess you want the happy faces, but it's so abstracted and so bizarre. <laughs> and and most of what you're actually concerned with is just like resource production. Can these people survive? And how do we logistically achieve that transfer of wealth? I don't know why board games, stadium, whatever, doesn't give you happy faces. No, it's not no, cool enough. It's not yeah. cool enough. Board games alone are not going to no. be enough. You need zorbing cars. <laughs> I found this game very difficult to um, keep up with. There, there was a lot going on all the time. And I, I always felt like I was one step behind. Like, okay, I need this resource. 
but to get this resource, I need to do this action, but I need this action to be able to get this thing. Uh, and there was there was so much to think about in this game. And like you said, you know, managing the resources on the old planet on Earth uh, and on the new planet, because, you know, you think you don't need the resources on one of the those planets and then suddenly you do because like for example to build a you think you don't need any food because the people don't need feeding anymore or they only Mm. need two food or one food so you think it's okay like i produce enough that's fine it's gonna feed them and then you think actually no because i need to make another ship i need to build another ship because i need to transfer more of these discs over you know as well Mm -hmm. right and then you can't, or you need to transfer a stadium over. And the only way you can do that is by building another ship. Uh, but then you realize you can't build a ship because most of the ships require food to be built. So, like, there's so much to juggle in this game. It and is. I felt so lost at some of the points. It, it, and, you know, sometimes that sort of thing is rewarding. You feel like, okay, this is a really hard puzzle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, there's a lie at the end of the tunnel, you know. I just, I just think maybe that they've mismanaged the how the game ends. I was going to ask you, did you feel like the end of the game kind of fell flat? I think it does. Because of the way it ends and I, the, the uh, winning conditions. Yeah, I think it or does. the end game conditions. I think for me what, what feels flat is the setting. You know, and uh, Tom Brewster made an excellent point in his review of Golem uh, where he said that there's so many good euros out there mm. and again i'm not not i'm not saying that the process of playing evacuation is somehow like bad or boring or whatever or that it's like a, a poorly constructed puzzle it is none of those things mm-hmm. you know it's it's a very yeah. competent game it, it does what it wants to do it, it executes it good okay but but the difference between a good Euro game and a great Euro game is sometimes just how much you vibe with the setting. I don't think the setting of this game stands up. First of all, it's nonsensical and doesn't make any sense. Out of all the reasons that we might need to evacuate planet Earth, you know, the ones that feel realistic right now. Yeah, go on, give us an example. I think it's just a damn squib, right? Like, oh, the uh, sun is getting hotter all of a sudden, you know, quick run, you know. I don't know climate catastrophe. But like, isn't that a climate catastrophe? But, but this, the, uh, there's you a mean difference. A, a human uh, induced climate catastrophe. Yeah, because if you if you remove the human element, it's not political, right? It's just like, ah, well, you know, the sun's getting hotter. N- not our fault, you know. I don't know. I just it doesn't ring true, right? There's something that's fundamentally just not inspired about that, and and the fact that the place is called oh what you know how will we name this new planet that the entirety of the human race is escaping to hope you know or you know a new beginning or can i remind you we called places new zealand new york new wherever there's so many places that we've just gone it's new something or other that i already know about okay so you're invoking the unobtainium defense (laughs) right where like yes corporations would have called it unobtainium um i i don't i doesn't jive with me honestly new Uh, south wales (laughs) (laughs) i mean i don't know i just i don't think we would have called it new planet right someone who reads a lot of science fiction it and enjoys it british named it right which often deal with these kinds of scenarios and i guess maybe maybe reality is starker than than science fiction it's not it's not stranger than fiction it's just 
more mundane. I understand that you did not like the setting of this game. If so, if this was a completely different setting that, that I don't know, someone had you're in a swimming pool, someone had pooed in the swimming pool, you had to move to another swimming pool, but, but you had to take all your floats and your armbands and everything with you. Like I don't know, a, a stupid example, but you, you know what I mean, like a completely mm. different example. Do you think that you would have enjoyed this more? Maybe a little bit more. Yeah, honestly, okay. maybe a little bit more. Um, <laughs> okay, I I didn't dislike the setting. I think I think it's a very standard setting for this type of game. Yeah, where you need to move one thing to another place because of some kind of disaster. Um, and I don't think that's a new thing, but I don't think it's something that really took away from the game for me. The, the only bit of the game that I didn't like, and like you said, I think it's well constructed. I think it's a good game. The only bit I didn't like, um, and this is personal, was the way that the ships worked. Yes, um, we didn't mention that, actually. Because they were so very difficult to manage. And like I said to you, they almost felt um, one single use mm -hmm. or maximum maybe two uses because the way the ships work is that uh, per round you can move them from the old world to the new world or from the new world to the old world, but they can't go both ways. They can't go back and then forth, you know? Mm. Um, and where you build them depends on where you spend the resources from. So if you spend the resources from the old world, then that's where the ship uh, pops up. And then if you want to move it, you know, you have to spend the energy to move it. And because there's only four rounds in the game, you can move it, it's, say you make it in the old world, you move it once and then back and then again. And that's kind of it because it, it's just so very hard to make it functionally useful. Like you have to use them because you need to transport the goods. But it feels so very like walking through treacle to 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 get these resources from one planet to another. And I, I don't know if that's just me. Okay, here's here's what I'm going to say. Yes, I think you're spot on. I think the ship mechanism feels arduous. It's arduous on purpose for it to be difficult, right? But I'm going to invoke the Aquasphere analogy. So Aquasphere, uh, for those not familiar, is a board game. We reviewed it a long oh. time ago. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's, it's a board game by Stefan Feld, okay. right? And Stefan Feld, who's coming off of games like Castles of Burgundy uh -huh. and, uh -huh. you know, like uh oh i know the game yes. you mean yes, yes. where the, the cogs fell into place yeah, yeah literally right yeah <laughs> um aquasphere was a game that many people have probably forgotten about because what it was was a competent feld game where feld was probably really in, in a space where he felt really good at this as a designer because he could design a cohesive puzzle and this is what this is. This is a cohesive puzzle that evokes the setting it wants to evoke. However, uh, the puzzle itself is not particularly interesting. I think it's hard. It's punishing. It makes you do a lot of work. Mm. But it's like, did I need this puzzle? I think some people who are fans of Vladimir Suhi's work are probably going to enjoy it. And they're going to be like, yeah, okay, this is good. This was interesting. But I think Evacuation is a come and go game. Something we're seeing increasingly more and more of, especially in the Euro Euro game space, where the Euro games come, people try them, they go, "That was nice," and then they go. Mm. And I, I honestly haven't seen that much new as well, because that sort of transference of wealth 
we've seen this designer do that already mm -hmm. twice, at least to my knowledge, and and maybe a little lighter and a little bit breezier than before. This was constructed in a way where like all the cogs turn into something, you know, they they make the mechanism churn. But it's it's complex, convoluted, and my final criticism, wow that rule book. Oh, Oh, just, yeah, you read I'm, that. Yeah, I'm getting a. So I, I have no opinion. I'm getting a back pain just thinking about it. Honestly, <laughs> it was hard. It was very hard work, and I don't know whether because, like, there's some genealogy to Czech Games Edition, where some of the games by Vladimir Suhi were published by Czech mm, Games mm. Edition, and you know uh, the, they have this policy of making the rule books lively and vibrant. But but those rule books also made sense. This one is lively and vibrant, and most of the time you're just reading it and going, "What? Sorry, I don't understand what's going on." Oh, okay, I had to read it twice, and uh, to make like things fall into place because things are, are just in odd places. There's a lot of uh, there's technologies that you get in this game mm. that like break the rules, and there's a glossary that explains half of them. But not all of them. But not all for of some them. reason. Right, yeah, for some reason. And it's unclear how some of the others work. And I just found it very hard work. And the iconography isn't always consistent uh, in those tiles. No, because it can, it, it always, sometimes like an icon will refer to a thing, but not always in the same context. Yes. So it always refers to the same thing, but the context might differ. And then what that same icon means it's in a different, different. context yeah. is also different. So uh, an uneven experience. I had a time with it. I played it. I I didn't not enjoy it. You know, it was a puzzle that made sense to me. Like, mm. hey, okay, the spaceships take a year to go to one place and a year to come back, which means if I buy a spaceship this year, then have enough actions to save for the spaceship for the next year, and then that one will come back, but I need the energy in that planet to make that come back and then kind of go this boom, boom, almost like playing like ping pong with spaceships and managing resources. What do I have on this planet? What do I have on that one? The puzzle makes sense. There are a lot of bits that I found very punishing and for good reason. Like I, yeah. I thought it, it fitted, right? It was just the ships that seemed like punishing for punishment's sake. <laughs> I know what you mean, right? And it's almost like they're serving this idea of what the game is trying right, to, yeah. uh, you know, thematically execute. Like, hey, you know, migrating between planets it's will be hard. hard. It's hard. <laughs> like, okay, I get it. But also, you know, digging ditches is hard. And I don't necessarily want to play a game about that, right? Uh, depends on who's designed by. <laughs> Fair enough, right? You know, I don't understand. Digging Ditches by Reiner Knizia. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, don't give him <laughs> ideas. Um, do you know what I didn't understand? Why uh, you on the on the new planet, there's a whole forest area, and yet there is no wood in the game at all. The only construction material that you're making the factories with is is steel. And why did the why do the icons look like muffins? Oh, the prefab factories? Yeah. 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 Why do they look like muffins? Is that how they come? And why are they building prefab factories? I said this to you. Why are they building prefab factories? My school, my first school was a prefab, and it was falling apart after like 
20 years, right? Yeah. Why why aren't they building something more sustainable on this? They are literally taking the stupidest ideas from Earth of, of making the worst possible construction material and just bunging it on the new planet. Like, what mentality is... I guess, I guess it's a panic, right? I get that. They're, they're panicking... Yeah. But, but, oh, my God, why? Because it's, I don't know, it's easier than bringing over tools. Maybe these prefabs are temporary. You know, they're just there to extract resources. Oh, we're ruining the new planet as well. Oh, good. Well, no, I mean, you have to survive somehow. But, like, the thing is, ruining the planet isn't what caused us to evacuate. It's ah, the sun getting hot. Yeah, anyway, it's true. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not to... Phew. Just... One last mechanism to go over, because I think it is interesting, right? And I don't want to not yeah, mention it, is. it. it is. So there's, uh, th I mentioned that you can take as many actions as you like, as long as you can pay energy for them. Well, actions also have like power, right? Yeah. And this power is what moves these satellites over, uh, these AI satellites. And the further these AI satellites move, the more access to the new planet you have. Because at first you can, for some reason, only settle the tundra. I don't know why why you would start there but <laughs> so apparently it's like the most inhospitable place to start yeah but yeah you can only settle the tundra you have to work up towards the mountains which look arid and then the forest and then you can settle in the sea i guess this is a oh, callback get, yeah, to underwater cities first, right yeah um mm. so and, and these unlock better areas where you can get more bang for your buck out of your factories and your population you get to increase this production which again you're trying to manage yeah it gives you know you is, is really hard yeah. you know i uh, i thought that mechanism was actually pretty cool mm. and and i like that I because did, yeah. because the, the actions that you want to take uh, always give you very little power and that moves your satellite not very far uh but the actions that you don't want to take give you lots of power it moves all of these satellites so th there's this cool element of like each game you're trying to go like hey am i just going to get a lot of power and like in late game unlock these really high reward areas that give me a lot of production or am i gonna attack it aggressively from the very beginning there's also these cards that basically say hey have you settled these types of territories mm. Have a bonus. Have a bonus of an increase of production. So there's a lot of ways that you can attack the game, and it creates a lot of different variable game states. And I thought actually that was quite good and yeah. quite interesting and quite yeah, nice. There's there's a lot of um, different ways to play this game. Yeah, exactly. Right. So there is there is replayability in built into it. I also mentioned that there are different modules. So uh, one of the modules that we played with was the advanced actions module, which is normally when you take actions, you just have action blocks on your player board. You choose the action block. It'll give you that much power. Uh, and then also you will then choose one action from the action block and do it, right? Now, with the advanced action module, you can do that still, but also you have these cards that have variable actions on them so they're the actions that you see on on your player board but they've been changed up in certain mm. ways and they will provide you with less or more power depending on whether that action was good or not for you sometimes they'll let you do two actions but they'll provide you with zero power so you might want to play that because that saves you a lot of time for you it's just whether the game thinks it's good or not yes whether it's good for you or not actually depends yeah. on what you've done yeah so you know good i like that that was mm. an interesting mechanism and an interesting system um, in in a claggy game but still interesting 
There's also a points module that does offer an alternative endgame kind of situation uh, where you can invoke victory points in this game if you would like. Uh, I think it was telling that the rulebook said most people will not play with that. And, and it's kind of weird because, like, in one way, it's novel. And not to invoke Feld again, but it reminded me of Oracle of Delphi, which is another mm. Feld game that everyone's forgotten, where it's just like, get to the thing first, probably you win, right? Mm. So everyone's trying to do that, but in a less clean way than Oracle of Delphi. Uh, and it was weird that then the game concedes and says, well, if you want to, you can play with victory points as well. So I didn't really try that because I was like, Maybe it will solve some of my issues with how the game ends and how many things you have to keep track of. Uh, but I just, I don't know. It felt like the rulebook wasn't even confident in that <laughs> module. So it didn't give me a lot of confidence to try it. So overall, a decent game, uh, but one that just feels a little bit too much like hard work and a bit too claggy. And a setting that bothered me. Not, not like really bothered me. It just, it didn't make sense to me. And I, I was bothered. Does that make sense? That's all the games. If you have anything to say about any of them, don't forget to drop me an email, Elaine at no pun included, or if you have any general comments or questions. Thank you so much for listening. And finally, Efka, what is on the bonus episode this week? And what is the game of the episode? For the game of the episode, is it okay to pick a game from a different episode? <laughs> no. Game of the episode. I didn't like any of the game. Is it okay? Is it okay to pick a game from the bonus episode? No. I guess then it's Sale. Mm -hmm. I think out of out of these three, Sale was the one I jived with the most. But that's mostly because I enjoy trick taking games and I enjoy what they're doing. I think they're very. Each of these games are very situational, very niche, very of the genre. Sale being. It's a trick-taking game, and if you're really into them, you'll like it. Trolls and Princesses is, is a setting game, and if you like a quirky setting, you might like this. And Evacuation is a very Euro-Euro, and if you're very into Euros, I don't think this is a bad one, I just don't think it's exceptional. But Sale. And on the bonus episode, we'll share our quick impressions of Point City, the sequel to Point Salad, and our first impressions of Sleeping Gods, distant skies which as you all know we like sleeping gods a lot and we have some thoughts on the sequel and with that why don't you say goodbye elaine goodbye elaine goodbye elaine